Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness. Um, Lord, I just ask that you'd move. Uh, God, in a world that's starting, it's always felt crazy, Lord. Things feel crazier. Um, Lord, we are constantly bombarded uh, with fear on the news, on social media. What ifs and what abouts and possibilities, God, and they're very rarely good. And it can make us feel like things are out of control. Uh, Lord, I know it can for me, but uh, Father, we know and we recognize that you are not surprised, um, that you're not shocked, and that you're in control. And um, Lord, that, uh, man, you have a plan, a plan to restore and to bring peace. And um, Lord, that the tears of your people um, don't go unnoticed, that you care about them, Lord, and you've promised us uh, that when you come back, that you will wipe away every tear. And uh, Lord, we just ask that you would move in this place. I pray for hard hearts to be softened and broken hearts to be mended. Lord, shield us from the enemy's attacks, that we could be here and just truly um, grow in the presence of your spirit. And I pray that even those who don't come in today wanting to hear that, Lord, your word, your love, your truth would break through. Help me to preach your word and to preach it well, and I wouldn't get in the way, and I'll give you all the glory. In Jesus Christ, I'm going to pray. Amen. How you guys doing? Yeah, hey, well, it's been a long time. I don't probably haven't even met or seen some of you because I've been gone. I just quit for a month or so <clears throat> and came back. So uh, if I haven't got to meet, I hope I get to. But um, yeah, so they did a great job, the guys that stepped up, and you got to hear other voices. And, you know, apparently there was a rumor, David told me, this person came up to him and said, and if this was you that started this, I'm on to you. But he came up to him at work and was like, hey, I want to come to your church, but I heard that you guys went to 3 o'clock one time, 3 p.m. It was 2.45, not 3, so get it right. I'm just kidding. None of that happened. But if that's you, don't do that. Anyway, <clears throat> so um, long ago, three weeks, I think now, or something like that, we've been in the middle of a series called Culture Wars. I'm not going to lie to you. If you haven't got to hear this yet or be a part of this series, it's hard teaching. It's hard to hear. And the idea behind it is, is that, listen to me, we are in a world at war. You are. That is a fact. <clears throat> now, I think there's kind of two extremes to that. There's people that um, hyper-focus on the spiritual warfare aspect of it in the sense of, you know, they, we can kind of get caught up in like, man, without us standing there, you know, God can't accomplish what he wants to accomplish. That's not true. And then there's the side that says, you know, that we become almost obsessed with that. And then the other side, that it, does, it doesn't exist. It's not real. And that's not true either. And um, angels are real. God still moves in his world. And so uh, are demons. And so are um, evil things that are out to get us. That's a fact. Um, and because of that, <clears throat> you know, they don't, <laughs> particularly in our modern age, they, you know, the enemy's not going to show up with a pitchfork, Right? And trying to scare us because, believe it or not, that would drive a lot of people to God, right? That would be the proof we need that would sort of put our God of science to the side, right? And we go, okay, there's something else going on here. So it becomes much more insidious. It becomes much more sneaky. And that's where we're at today. And what we, what we have within culture are up is down and down is up and truth is lies and lies are truth and love is hate and hate is love and all of these different things that we have subtly been, even in the last 10 years, that we have subtly been, it's an old school word, hoodwinked. You ever heard of that? <laughs> Tricked, fooled, 
And we're beginning to have things redefined. And even us, even it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, when you're saturated in a culture, it's very difficult not to pick up what that culture says, particularly when the culture implies that if you don't agree with us, you're not with us. And if you're not with us, you're against us. And if you're against us, well, we can't have your hate around. Where does that lead? So, you know, there's going to be things in the first few series, and everybody keeps, slow down, Todd. See, I'm so excited. I haven't preached in so long. Since uh, there are going to be things that we all agree, right? Every typical Midwestern church is going to say, yeah. <clears throat> and that's good, and, it, and that's true, things that we stand against. And um, I will say this. Part of the reason we're doing this series, and I don't know how long it's going to go, is the church has become very silent on issues that are very important in our culture. So in the first few weeks, for instance, trans anything, okay? And I've already going to lose some of you. Transhumanism and transgenderism, and we talked about and and changing, you know, the way God has created the world to be and saying that if someone doesn't feel right that something's wrong with them and the best way to fix that is under someone's scalpel or by taking pills and all of those kinds of things, right? And even some of you in this room now are already uncomfortable and think that I'm spewing hate by telling the truth when the truth is I'm saying the complete opposite. I figured I'd get that out of the way. You can go back and listen to that. And so some of them are sort of, the church has become silent on that. You know why? The same reason I feel pressure at times, because that's not popular. And because we are now on social media streaming and all those things, guess what? You guys that stand for truth are much more silent than those that stand for lies. And you know what you, why you do that? Because you say, you're, well, I'm being loving. I'm being loving. And loving means that I stay quiet and allow truth to get hammered and bombarded. That's a lie, too. There is an expectation that we stand up for truth. And, you know, I've heard people say, well, we're peacemakers. We're called to be peacemakers. And you think peacemakers means being silent in the face of lies. You're wrong. Why did the martyrs die? They died because they were willing to speak, not hide in their rooms saying they're on the front lines Right By taking something beautiful here, I'm going to offend someone else, right? I've got my prayer room, my war room, that's good. And it's good to go in there and that's important. But do you use your words publicly? We have to stand for truth. And do you know why we don't? Because it's scary. Everyone in this room, it's scary. Do you think I like being hated? Some of you go, probably. I don't. I don't like being hated. Believe it or not, at one point in my life, people liked me. <laughs> That's the truth. I was a likable person, right? Jack, you were around. I was a likable guy, right? He's like, eh, no, that's I was likable. <laughs> I was lying to myself even then. No, I, I was a likable person. But you know, it's funny. I've done a lot of things to make people not like me. That's nothing to do with truth, okay? But a lot of my, a lot of the disdain I get and the attacks I get and we get and you will get will not come from the world yet because they dismiss you. See, the world dismisses you. It comes from the church. So I get asked, with all this stuff going on, the world feels crazy. I get asked a lot about, hey, Todd, do you think this is the end times? 
Are we in the end times? A couple things. One, we've been in the end times since Jesus ascended. We have been in the end times. It's just waiting. All right? That's a fact. So yes, we are. Do I think personally, does it seem crazier? I used to say, man, when Hitler was running around, taking over half the world and all that, I bet that felt pretty crazy. And then you hear people, and a veteran, I just watched an interview in World War II saying, this is the craziest it's ever felt. And then you're going, right? I don't know. I don't know. But I know this. People have been asking me for a long time, and we're going to do it, Lord willing, to go through Revelation as a series. We're going to do that. Now, part of the reason we don't do that is that takes a long time, all right, if you want to do it right, because you got to understand a lot of symbolism. But my point of saying that is this. I don't know if you really want that. Because he starts out speaking to us, his church. And there's most of them, it's not all good. There's this thing in America, particularly in the Midwest, and even more so in Whitley County, where, hey, I'm not against God, so I'm for him. I go to church a half, a quarter of the time, right, when I want something better, so I'm with him. And even I, right, I get caught up in this, like, I, do you know one of the things that, let me finish, that being said, we, we tend to associate that with being with him. When we've talked about this many times in Matthew, this terrible, terrible chapter, this terrible section where Jesus says there will be a time at the end when people come and say, we prophesied in your name, we performed miracles on your name, we did these things, and, he's, and Jesus will look at them and say, I never knew you. Because we associate religion with, sal- with salvation, with discipleship. It's not the same thing. Now, if, you, if you're a regular attendee, the most beautiful part of this, of, of Jesus, is the recognition that we are never good enough on our own. And that it is only by his grace that we're held and saved and loved. And that is the truth, right? But in order to access that, in order to have that, in order to be his, there has to be an acceptance of the truth. To access the love and grace and mercy, you must walk through the door of truth. And the door of truth starts with one simple thing. You're not good enough. Now that's not popular. Some of you have already lost. Todd, you're tearing me down. No, I'm not. On your own, you're not. And you know it. That's why you get so insecure and insensitive when I say it. Because you're still holding on to this identity that's based on your good works, your actions, you. But the problem is you know you. And you know that no matter what everyone else thinks, you know those areas, right, that that are rough still. There's freedom in that recognition because where only, right, those who say Jesus used, I'm using symbolically, that they're blind can, can have a need for someone to help them see. You understand? Jesus said, I didn't come for the healthy, but for the sick. There's a recognition of that in order to, to be in relationship with him. All of that to say, don't worry, guys, I have notes on here that says I wrote time on several pages so that I go fast. I'm going to try. I'm still going to do this series where I do 15 minutes, and then I can't wait. I'm going to do it for like two months, and I'm going to see how many of you complain about that because it's going to happen. It's going to happen, I promise. <clears throat> In Revelation, I want to talk about John, the Apostle John, has given a vision. 
and he's shown what's going to happen. Now listen, I don't have time to go into all of this. Some of it is what happened, what's happening then. Some is what's going to come and some of what's been happening. But he, he sees Jesus in his glory, by the way, falls down dead like he was dead when he sees him. Even though, remember, he saw Jesus. He saw even the, the, the transfigured. He saw Jesus and still fell at this guy's feet and said, who are you? I am terrified. He's not coming back as a beaten lamb anymore. But in that, Jesus says, I have seven letters. Now, these are just seven different churches. Now, yes, these were real churches in the early, uh, early part of our faith, but also they stand for a lot. They stand for us today. And there's a church at Laodicea, right? i got to always say that right. The church of Laodicea. Now, a little bit about this church is that it was in a very wealthy area. Best way to put it, a very compared to the rest of the place, right? The rest of the churches. They were doing pretty well. They were prosperous. They were wealthy, successful. Things weren't too bad for them, comparatively. We're going to start here, and, and Jesus talks to different churches. And here in Revelation chapter 3, starting at verse 14, he comes to this church in Laodicea. Listen to what he says. Write to the angel of the church in Laodicea. Thus says the amen. That's so good. I could go on to that. Calls himself anyway. The faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. Here it is. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were, were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich, I've become wealthy and need nothing, and you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich, white clothes so that you may be dressed, and your shameful nakedness not be exposed, and ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. How interesting that that echoes what he told the Pharisees, right? If you were blind, I could have helped you, but because you say you see, I can't. This is seeing Jesus. Boy, that'll blow your mind. And here he says, verse 19, and As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. How beautiful is that? Even as he's saying, he goes, I love you is why I'm telling you this. So be zealous, energetic, and repent. See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. That translation, I'm like, oh, that's nice, but it means a deep relationship. Because when you shared a meal, right, in the Middle East then, that was a deep relationship. That's why the Pharisees and everyone came and said, what are you doing eating with these sinners? That's why it was such a big deal. It implied relationship. So what do you need to know? Laodicea was a wealthy and prosperous town. They apparently had material wealth and good status, comparatively. And in that, they had become spiritually blind. They let their self-centered materialism... Now, already I'm losing some of you. Like, I ain't got no money, so he ain't talking to me. We'll get to that, right? Their self-centered materialism blind them to their need for a Savior. They had pushed Jesus out of the center of their lives and of their churches. They talked the talk, but it was just empty words. It was show. It was empty religion. You want to hear something incredible? You can throw some numbers out. How many... How much money do you think you have to make to be in the top 1% of the world's pop, like wealth? Anyone know? 100, 2 billion, 100 grand? Nope, 32,000. 
If you make $32,000, you are in the top 1% of the world in wealth. Now who's prosperous here? You are the top 1%. That's not making light of financial struggles, but we need to have some perspective. You see, some of you have said, well, I'm not, I'm not in the church of Laodicea because I'm not rich. Yes, you are. In America, compared to worldwide, the vast majority of people are like the Laodiceans as far as being wealthy. The majority of you in this room are not starving. You have shelter, you have clothing, and you guess what? You even have enough that you went to Starbucks this morning or they're going to go after, or you got Pizza Hut this week, and guess what? Before I go on, there's nothing wrong with that. But be aware of who you are and what you are. See. And I believe that much like Laodicea, in the shadow of our relative comfort and prosperity, American churches and Christians, some, not all, but a lot, have become lukewarm. Now here's the thing. I'll, I'll wait for that. Not only that, but in this current culture, this has led, listen friends, please, quicker I feel like you're getting and paying attention, the quicker I go through it, you get to get home and get your Starbucks, right? Not only this, but in this current culture, this has led to a twisting of the gospel into a spiritual sort of have it my way. Christianity. Have it my way, Christianity, that creates whatever twisted version of the faith that we want at the time. Now, this is where some of you go, hold your breath and we'll see. If we have material wealth, status, prosperity, then obviously God has blessed me. And if God is blessing me, then obviously he is okay with how I'm living my life. And he's okay with the gospel that I choose to live out of, that I pick and choose from to create the type of religion and faith that makes me comfortable. You see, that's the crux of, quote, progressive Christianity. You heard that? Raise your hand if you've heard the term progressive Christianity. You will hear it if you haven't. It's becoming popular. Progressive Christianity. Is that like Burger King, right? You got McDonald's over here and Burger King. Just pick your choice. Conservative or progressive? That doesn't exist. There's one. But, I, but that's the crux of progressive Christianity. Let's progress to a Christianity that catches up with our modern world and that agrees and affirms what I want. I want you to watch this short video real quick. As a matter of fact, one progressive church, Bethel, not the church that is related to the music, a totally different church uh, that also shares the name Bethel, it says this on their website. We believe that Jesus' commandment to love one another as I have loved you is foundational. Further, now watch this, love of neighbor includes affirmation. So do you see what they're doing? They're equating love with affirming. If you love someone, you will affirm them in the lifestyle that they want to live. So that's how we need to define love these days is if you love someone, affirm them in their lifestyle choices. Do you know how dangerous it is to redefine love as affirmation in allowing people to essentially live their lives the way they want to live? I heard people go, huh. How, you would never do that. Some of us in this room, and I heard you. It's great. It actually fit my notes because I was otherwise it would I would have it wouldn't have been good. Watching, a, you know, some of you in this room watching at home later may agree with this specific stance on love and affirming, right? That you would absolutely say that to love a practicing homosexual. Some of you may actually agree with it. 
right? That to love a practicing homosexual is to affirm or tell them that God is pleased with their loving relationship. Some of you in this room think that. Statistically, I know it. You are mad already because I'm saying that's not the case. You've just redefined love to mean whatever I want it to mean, okay? <clears throat> or tell them that God is pleased with a loving relationship despite the Bible being very clear on God's design for romantic relationships in marriage being between a man and a woman. By the way, not affirming does not mean that it's okay to hate because hate is real. See, that's, there's two extremes, right? If I, I, can, I don't have to, here's, here's my stance on this, and this isn't even the topic. We're going to touch base on this. But this isn't even the point today, but I do want to say this. When I talk, people say to me all the time, you know, what I'm going to say to a practicing homosexual, their homosexuality is irrelevant to me at the moment. It's just another way that their sin shows itself. You see, if a practicing homosexual stops practicing homosexuality, it doesn't make them saved. Just like an alcoholic that stops drinking doesn't make him saved. The issue is their need for a savior. That being said, it also isn't hateful to tell them that sin is sin, just like I'm not going to tell that alcoholic, continue to drink yourself to death because you want to. Many of you nodded your head in agreement at that, and you know what I just said, or shake your head and discuss at the church mentioned there and their stance on homosexuality, but here's the thing. You do the same thing. You live a Christianity that's affirming. It's just affirming to your lifestyle your decisions, your wants and desires, and if anyone challenges that by bringing up the commands of Scripture and Jesus, you say they're being hateful. In fact, I won't see some of you again because of this. Ready? You want me to show you? Somebody tells you that you're supposed to give your money. I can't believe all they want is money. I can't believe them. They want my money. Who are they to tell me to give my money? Boom, affirming yourself. You didn't ask what scripture is. No one has ever come up to me that complains about that and said, hey, here's my scripture against offering. How about church attendance? I don't have to go to church. See, already, I hope I'm pricking you a little, and I don't want to make you mad because you're going to hate me. You know, I want you to like me a little bit. But I do want you to hear the truth. I, I want, and by the way, I'm preaching to myself. I do the same thing. If I'm not careful, right? What about serving other people? Yes, you will serve, right? As long as it what? Doesn't interfere with your life. Right? How about your relationship? If someone tells you, hey, you probably shouldn't be living with this person. You probably shouldn't be, you know, uh, whether it's homosexual or not. You probably shouldn't be in this sexual relationship before marriage. You probably shouldn't do it. How dare they? As though telling you that something's wrong means that God's grace doesn't reach you. That's not what it means. Because you remember, God's truth is for your good. But Todd, it doesn't feel like my good. I understand. I do. But who's God and who's not? You create an affirming religion. If we didn't all pursue that, why are these churches, why do they exist? And by the way, I picked the tame one. There were so many others I could have shown you. Sometimes people say to me, like, there'll be certain messages, and, like, it is a compliment. Please, please give them, because, you know, I don't hear those as much. But uh, people be like, man, Todd, you know, you step on my toes today. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, you know, but they say it in a good way. Like, yeah, I walk away going, dude, all I did was read what it said. Genuinely. What about forgiving people? What about confronting sin? What about standing up for truth? What about committing to a church? 
What about leading your wife and family? What about loving your husband or respecting your husband? What about committing to a church and being in relationship, which includes accountability? You just created a religion that's all about when you decide you want some truth, a little grace, but nobody has to hold you accountable because they don't know you. Again, I'm allowed to say that. I say this all the time. Andy knows I was the hypocrite that believed that you didn't have to act church. I literally said that phrase, right? You, hey, you don't got a church to be a Christian. And then God slapped me in the mouth and said, no, but Christians go to church. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Right? What I want to discuss today is that in our current church culture, the culture where we're in, is that even here in little old Whitley County, Indiana, we have a very serious issue that as followers of Jesus Christ, we must stand against. We cannot allow ourselves, no matter how much it's ingrained, no matter how comfortable we are with it or how uncomfortable we are questioning it, we cannot allow ourselves to create our own version of Christianity. And here's where I'm going to say we got to go a step further. We have to take a stand against any idea of progressive Christianity which dilutes the truth. Because there's progressive Christianity in Willie County. It may not look like this. They'll probably never say that, affirming homosexuality, right? But they affirm deluded, weak truth. They affirm lukewarm faith. They affirm, right, seeking the miracles of Jesus, but not falling to the cross. I know it happens. And here's the thing you got to understand too, guys. Let's say, let's just make up a number. And this, is, this blew my mind and made me really, I'm going to challenge you with a thought that challenges me a lot still. Let's pretend there's only 100 churches in, 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 I don't know, our community, okay, our world. There's 100. Out of the 100, 80 of them, 90 of them agree that it's this way. And they're successful, and they're, they got a 1,000 people and money, and they do good things in the community, and they love people, and they help people, but it's not following the Bible. But 80 of those 100 churches, right, do that. Then you have 20 churches. Maybe they're small. Maybe they're not, right? Maybe they're not as popular. Maybe they're being attacked. Do you think the 80 are going to affirm those 20, using the word affirm? You think they're going to say, hey, they're right. Where do you want to stand, with the majority or with Christ? By the way, I'm not saying that 80% of the church is here. I don't know that, right? But I think that in America, I wouldn't be shocked if that's the statistic. How do I know that? Jesus tells us. Narrow is the way that leads to life, and few will find it. It's one of the things that, before I go on, I haven't been, been here in a while. I might as well get all the, the uh, offensiveness out. I've never understood playing church. And some of you all have played church your whole life, and I've never understood it. And the reason I understand it is you don't have to. You don't have to do it. You're only doing it because socially it benefits you in this community to say you're part of a church. Can I tell you the truth? That's ridiculous. I wouldn't do that. What a waste of time. What a waste of time. Who, who are you impressing? You're miserable. You show up. You don't like being here. You're mad. You're asleep, right? You're in and out. Why do you do it? Go pull up a YouTube video of a motivational speaker, and you'll get the same thing. I'm being honest. I'm not being mean to you. We'd probably be better friends because at least you're true to what you believe. I don't understand playing the game. I genuinely don't. This is just Todd, your friend. I don't get it. What a waste of time. 
And I'm not talking, you know, the enemy's going to twist it, and some of you are going to say, well, that means like if I sin or I make mistakes. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about playing the game. You know what I mean. You've, already, you have, you've listened to two minutes of this. You're playing the game. You're here waiting and looking at the clock, which makes me want to go longer because I am a jerk. We have to take a stand against any idea of progressive Christianity which dilutes God's truth, which changes it, weakens it, twists it to fit our desires. There's only one Christ, one spirit, one God, and it's not our job to change his truth. It's our job to learn, identify, and change to fit his truth. And that's a lifelong process. And the beauty is, is that during that entire time, when we, those that truly follow, when we stumble, when we fail, when we get up, right? Oh, man. It's the wrong data. Giggle. Come on, come at you. That's your, that's your first and last warning. <coughs> Giggly. Um, if that's you, I don't know. I'm talking to you probably. But <clears throat> this sign of a true disciple, because it's just playing church again. It's just playing church again, right? The sign of a true disciple of Jesus Christ is not someone who just claims the name of Jesus or even likes Jesus. You might like him. Who doesn't? He's a great guy to like. It's someone who follows Jesus. And following Jesus does not lead to him changing, but always leads to us changing and conforming to his will. The beauty is his will, as uncomfortable as it may be, is always better than any way we naturally want to go. You know what I mean? No? You don't know what I mean? Let me throw a podium. Yeah? Okay. He loves us far too much to affirm our way when he knows it will lead to our destruction. I love my daughter, right? I'll take any opportunity I can to bring her up. Some of you all, I've had complaints. You don't talk about, you know, I'm not going to make fun of him, but I... I <laughs> He's not the only one, so it's not just the one person that's brought this up. I'm going to talk about my daughter all the time because I love her. I ain't going to quit. And if you tell me stop, I'm going to do it more. But the bottom line is we all understand, right, whether we've had a good father or bad father, we intrinsically know the idea of a father. I love my daughter, and I say this a lot. I don't want to hurt her. I give her, I give her a lot as she wants. When she wants another cookie, tend to be one. Okay, here, baby, you can have another cookie, right? But I've said it before, and I'll say it again. If she walks out and there's a semi coming from her, I will jump kick her if that's what it takes, before I let that semi hit her, right? Dads, get what I'm saying? Am I wrong? And if not, then you don't love her that much, right? I don't know why it's faster to jump kick, but I will, right? (laughs) Because I love her enough to know that even if she thinks that crowded street is fun is the best way to go, I won't let her go there. That's us. He loves us so much that I know it's hard. Man, she gets her mind set, and it's really, you know, she's broken my heart lately. I'm going to be honest with you. My little angel's begun to slap me in the face, right? And this time came. And I, I don't know if other dads, I want to talk to you maybe after this. Tell me if you went to the stage where you're like, my daughter's a mean, she's perfect. She's not going to be like these other kids, right? I literally was at a point, it's like, she's not going to slap me. I've seen other kids. And then the first day she did, you know, the betrayal that I felt. Right? And it hasn't stopped, right? <clears throat> She does that because she can't understand that what I want, whether what I'm taking her from, typically, is for her good. So, i got to move. I broke time on here. Let me ask you guys a question. This is the interactive part. You're going to like this, James. James, your first time having your name said. Feel good? All right. <clears throat> Who here would want a million dollars? Raise your hand. Everybody that's not raising your hand, you are lying. You are literally lying. 
or you're rebellious, you punks. You, if I'd say, don't raise your hand if you want to, you, you'd immediately raise it, right? That's me. That's okay. I am too. All right, who won a million dollars? Of course, anybody here would, right? Would you be willing and be real? Don't try to get ahead of the sermon here. Would you be willing to do quite a few things? I'm not even talking morally, $4 million, right? Oh, of course, everybody, thank you, Jack. He's like, yes, I'll do whatever. He's the one guy. It's like, yeah, right? You would probably be willing to do a lot of things. Let me ask you a question. Would you quit your job? Raise your hand if you would quit your current job for if I gave you $1 million cash right now. All right, some people wouldn't, but some people would. Yeah, would you leave? Raise your hand if you would completely leave. And when I say family or loved one, that's whatever you want to call it. If the thing that you love most is your dog, Sally, then that, then that counts, right? Who would be willing to leave your family or loved ones forever, never see them again for $1 million? Okay, there's a half. That's okay. You're a liar. <clears throat> you can't go two days without your little magma, your dog. <clears throat> you brought that on yourself. Anyway. Who would leave your family or loved one forever for one million? Not many of us, right? Whoever that is. Why? Okay, would you jump out of a plane for a million dollars? Me too, and that terrifies me. Would you jump out of a plane with no parachute for a million dollars? No, do you know why? Because you value your life more than you value a million dollars, right? Why? Because your family and life is probably more important than a million. Okay, let's bring it down a notch. Who would want or could use $5,000? My hand's raised. I got 5000 cash. Thank you, Willie. One honest person. Some of you are like, I don't need five grand. Yeah, you do. All right? Even if you're, you know, buy Gucci or something. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> Who would want or could use $5,000 cash if I had a sack right now? If I was rich, I promise you I'd do this. And all of you that didn't raise your hand, I would just give 5000 to everyone but you. Anyway, <clears throat> right? Just, just to teach you. All right, so 5000 and you'd be so mad, too. You're like, you didn't give me, and you'd be waiting at the door thinking it was a trick, and I'd be like, I'm really not giving you any. Right? <laughs> now, what would you do for $5,000? Would there still quite a bit you do for $5,000 cash? Me too. Who would skip one day of work for $5,000 cash? <laughs> a lot more people, right? You won't give up your job. That makes sense. Now, would you skip two days of work for $5,000? Would you skip a week? Yeah, I'm getting there too. Would you skip a month? Still some people. Okay. Would you quit your job for 5000 Some of you would. Okay, that's cool. But I want to point out, if you didn't notice that around here, a lot of the, some of you are like me, like I'll get another job, whatever, right? But some of you, the hands started going down. Why? Because the cost ratio changed. Now, let me ask you a question. Five grand, right? <clears throat> would you skip church for one day for five grand? Would you skip church? Yeah, you don't even have to raise your hand at this point, but thank you, Andy. Huh? Some of you that said you wouldn't skip a month of work, would you skip a month of church? Someone says, hey, just four times, you don't have to go. I'll give you five grand. Yes, you would, many of you. Many of you, not all of you. All right, and that's just picking it up and, and as an example. Let that sink in. And you know what? Most people would say, of course. Of course. And I'm just saying, listen, I get it. Dude, sometimes when I talk about coming to church, I feel like such a hypocrite because I, like, I don't want you to think, I'm too prideful if you got to know me. This is sinful. Okay, I'm, this is me confessing a sin. I'm too prideful to beg for your attendance. I just am. Like, I can't, like, this never was a plan. God just did what he wanted to do. I'm very thankful. But, like, I, you know, I love you guys. I want you to come, but I'm not going to beg you. So when I say that, I say it because it's the truth. You're, you're called to be in community and together. 
Let that sink in. Now, what would you do? We talked about money for Jesus and your faith. What would you really do for him? What would you really not do for him? I want to explain a situation here. So Jesus is healing, and he started his public ministry. And as he's, after he's done that, he's actually at a house, and he's, they're bringing all the sick to him because they heard about it. By the way, we would too. Even people don't like Jesus. If he was curing diseases, some guy, you'd all, we'd all show up probably. And at this house, they're all rushing in. Well, his family hears about it, and they're going, I don't know if you guys have heard about Jesus, but he is talking crazy. we got to go get him before they hurt him. Because where was that coming from? Probably church pressure, church meaning the temple, right? Also, there's some association, right? If he's claiming these things, we're his family. It don't look good for us either. Let's go get him. So they show up at the house, and they say, hey, all the people are like, hey, uh, Jesus, your, your, your family's here to get you. And in Mark 3, 30, starting verse 33, this is what Jesus says. He replied to them, who are my mothers and my brothers? Looking at those sitting in a circle around, and he said, here are my mothers and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Now, many people in modern America, <clears throat> you, you're kind of like, what's the big deal? There's people with broken families. Some of you do relate to this if you let it because you worship your families. That's a bottom line, okay? Right? <clears throat> and even as I say that, that guy, oh, family's important. It is important. But what's the point here? This would have been really shocking to all the people listening because family relationships was vitally important in early Palestinian culture. Your family blood meant something, right? Those are the people that literally are helping to take care of you so you live. And here's Jesus saying, I don't have them. That would have shocked them. Why? Jesus wasn't saying that family wasn't important. He wasn't saying he didn't love his family. Listen, it fits in. What he was saying was that in comparison to the pursuit of God's will, the pursuit of following God, it was not the most important thing. And that he had more in common with people who followed God than he did with his own blood family. Now some of you in this room, that would be hard, right? If you're really honest, it'd be hard if, Jesus, if he just came and said, you gotta walk away from your family. I get it. Now, I'll, stay with me, I've got a point here. Directly after this, right after this happens, we get a very famous parable. So same, he's sitting around, he says, who's my family? They can all still hear him. And then he says, let me tell you something. Starting, right, <clears throat> in Mark chapter 4, at verse 3, the parable of the sower. Listen to this. Keeping in mind, he just said that. He said, listen. Sorry, Mark, the Gospel of Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 3. Listen, consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some feed, I'm sorry, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky soil where it didn't have much soil and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. When the sun came up, it was scorched and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns came up and choked it and it didn't produce fruit. Still other seed fell on good ground and it grew up quickly, producing fruit that increased 30, 60, and 100 times. Then he said, let anyone who has ears to hear listen. If you want the truth, it's right here. Now, here's the beauty. Unlike other ones, we don't have to wonder what this means. Jesus tells us, as he tells the apostles, the disciples, right then and there, going down at verse 13. Listen, he explains this. <clears throat> then he said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, the gospel. Okay? 
Some are like the words sown on the path. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the words sown in them. And others are like seeds sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. These people received it hourly. Yes, I want it. But they have no root. They are short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the world, they immediately fall away. Others are like seeds sown among thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the worries of this world, this age, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it becomes unfruitful. And those like seeds sown on good ground hear the word, welcome it, and produce fruit 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. Now, I love y'all long-term Christians because you're like, I know the parable of the sower. I've heard it a thousand times. And when I hear it once, I don't have to hear it again. I want Starbucks, right? <laughs> By the way, ain't nothing wrong with that. Mandy drinks Starbucks constantly. She just went today, right there. <clears throat> I wanna, I'm gonna. He gives these four different types of people. He's talking to all the group, including his disciples. So the hard ground, what is that? I'm going to put it in my words, right? It's someone whose heart is so hardened by sin that they can't understand or even accept the gospel at all. They don't, they're not in a place to hear it. The rocky ground is someone who's excited when they first hear the gospel. Maybe they see the joy and the miraculous things and they claim it right away and they're on fire. I've seen this over and over again. But they have no roots, not truly have the foundation. And so as soon as hard times come, they're told truth they don't want to hear. As soon as persecution and as soon as cost pops its head up, they fall away. The thorny soil, they hear the word and maybe even say they accept the gospel, but material wealth, status, lust, and their own desires. Their own desires are more important and God is not the center of their life or faith, so they just have a dead religion at best. This would be a Laodicea, very similar. And then there's the good ground. These are those who heard the gospel, welcome and accept it, and then produce fruit by their transformed lives. They talk about Jesus, follow Jesus, and probably look like freaks and weirdos to the people around them, even here in Whitley County, right? Quote, this was said to me years ago, you take this God thing too seriously. Even in Whitley County, if you follow Jesus, you're going to look strange. So I want to, but, but all of that, I want to focus on two types of ground and soil today. I want to talk about the rocky and the thorny because I think these are the two most predominant people in the American church today. And my fear is there's people in this room. Whoever's clicking over there, come on, you're killing me, bro. <clears throat> I'm a squirrel, remember? <clears throat> Same section, we're going to come back to that. But remember the Rocky. Okay, so what's the Rocky? They're excited to hear it. This is so awesome. Listen to the worship. Listen to everyone's happy. People love me. This is great. I love it. Wait, he's telling me I need to come to church. They're telling me I need to walk away from this relationship. They're telling me I need to give this up now. They're telling me I need to change. I don't like that. That's not what this is about. Thorny? Well, yeah, I'm going to do it. But, I mean, not... At the cost of my vacation, not the cost of my finances, money, status. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to rock the boat. This is all in the same section, okay? Jumping down a little bit more in Mark chapter 7, listen to this. So before we get to this, the Pharisees and scribes, let's call them the religious people. Let's call them your typical Whitley County, right? I made a lot of people mad here in Whitley County already. That's okay. 
I'm here, right? Your typical, your typical Midwestern Christian, right? <clears throat> the religious kind, though, is extreme. So they're like, hey, listen to rap music, right? There's people that do that, right? <clears throat> Some of you in this room, maybe, no offense. <clears throat> so these people come up to Jesus, and they notice that Jesus and his disciples are not doing the rituals that you're supposed to do to clean your hands when you eat. And so they come up to them, and they say this. Mark chapter 7, starting at verse 5, he says, So the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders? Instead of eating bread with ceremonially unclean hands? He answered them, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites, as it is written. These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines human commands. Abandoning the command of God, you hold on to human tradition. He also said to them, you have a fine way of invalidating God's command in order to set up your tradition. And drop down to verse 13. You nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many other similar things. In between there, he gives the example of, you know, God says, take care of your father and mother, but they dedicated and said, well, I don't have to take care of my father and money. Ooh, this could get some of you people now. I don't have to give this money because it's holy money. I don't need to give offering because that would be taken from my family when nobody ever said that, right? <clears throat> they talked the talk, but they didn't walk the walk, and they allowed their traditions to become more important than the word of God and the heart of his commands. Loving their parents wasn't as important as dedicating money to the temple. Who do you think got that money? Yeah, right? Who do you think benefited from that? They did. This is just another example of bad soil. What's made them comfortable, in this case, their religion, is more important than the will of God. So let me give you some examples for now for this, as we kind of build our... Our, our, my case here of this culture where we're in. There's two extremes. An example would be, I've already kind of given you the dilution of truth, right, when it comes to the don'ts. Don't do this. Let me talk about some do's. One example of the church today is the extreme that highlights the appearance, the appearance of holiness over compassion, mercy, and forgiveness. There's no confrontation of sin in the church today. There's no confession of sin in the church today. Why would there be? If you confess sin, you're kicked out. If you confess sin, you're no longer, uh, you're ineligible. If you confess sin, you're disqualified. If you confess sin, you're out. Why would anybody confess sin? Well, they should anyway because that's what Jesus told us to do. But that is an extreme we live in. As long as it all looks good and we don't do any of the bad sins, adultery, I'm not publicly drunk, I don't get in trouble in the newspaper, then it's okay to be prideful, hateful, unmerciful, unforgiving. The forgiveness that God calls us to in his word is radical. And even now, even as you in this room, there are I cannot put into words how radical it is. Someone in this church commits adultery once and they repent to you. They do it twice, three times, four times. How many times before you say they can't be in your congregation anymore? Now, keep in mind, we're talking repentance. I'm using that example because that's the shocking one. I could say anything. Do you know why? Well, well, how do we know if they're being real? 
We trust the process that God has given us in Matthew 18 that no church, right, practices of how we're to confront sin and not just adultery, but pride and hate and unforgiveness. We allow pastors and preachers, even in this community, to run around and put weights on people's backs, but not lift a finger to take them off, as Jesus said to the Pharisees. We applaud them and clap our hands at them. Why? Because two or three of the churches get together and say they work together, so God must be with them? The one extreme is absolutely the lack of truth. Another extreme is the lack of love and grace and mercy. Both of them are a twisting of the gospel. There is nobody that is too far gone that the cross can't reach. And the thing is, once you're saved, wouldn't it be nice if you were perfect? But you're not. You're just viewed as perfect. And when you stumble, do you get up and follow again? I wonder how many, how, how, how many people have been cast aside by the church for their failings. And that is God's son or daughter. And you think you're doing the will of God to take their hope? To take away the opportunity for restoration and forgiveness? As though that's pleasing to him? That's in this community. We're called to forgive one another, but is that what we practice? Sure it is, in, in theory. It's a lot uglier to love each other through all that junk, isn't it? You falling asleep? If so, I can get out of here. Trust me, this is good. I got to go. I got to go. Watch this. You're going to love this, Jaden. You want me done, buddy. I got this for you. <clears throat> of course, the other extreme is, of course, Saying, you know, calling out sin at all is wrong and judgmental and hateful. Absolutely we are. We judge each other within the church. Accountability, right? There's a way to come up and say, hey, you should probably straighten up and be better, right? I love you. I'm going to walk with you, but we got to change direction here. What's the most loving thing to do? Jesus had compassion. We're going to come to this on 4,000 people right after this too, right? He starts coming up. 4,000 people. He fed them all with seven loaves of bread and a few fish. That would be incredible. Me hungry. Here it is. You can have your fill. You think people were happy and amazed when he did that? Yes or no? You think? You sleepy? Trent, you asleep? Kind of? Get out of here. Anyway, all right. In Mark chapter 8, listen to what he says. Right after he feeds them, he says, Calling the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. Now immediately, everyone in the room thinks this means martyrdom. That might be death, right? But let me explain something to you. If you're not willing to lose your vacation, if you're not willing to lose $10, if you're not willing to lose waking up early to go to church, you think you're really going to stand firm with a gun to your head when they say, do you believe in Jesus? Some of you think that you would die for Jesus, but you won't live for him. Well, whoever wants to save his life or lose it will lose it, but whoever loses his life, meaning who wants to be your own savior, you're going to find out that you can't. But whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? What can anyone give in exchange for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words. Listen, friends. What does ashamed mean? Does it, does it mean maybe staying silent in the face of lies? Does it mean, well, I don't want to rock the boat? Isn't that being ashamed? 
For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father and the holy angels. He said, if anyone wants to follow him, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Listen, these people would have known what the cross stood for, even more than we do. It stood for shame. It stood for humiliation. It stood for standing out and not in a good way. The worst of criminals, and it stood for death. And here is Jesus telling them that this, this thing, the cross of all things, is the cost to follow him. Many of you in this room say, yep, but you deny this with how you And I deny this with how I live my life. You love following when he's handing out bread, but your rocky soil causes you to wither when it comes to the cost. So in the culture war, sometimes the cost is standing up and saying that's not right. If if a church is here to cast out the adulterer, to condemn them, you standing there with stones? Or you think, well, because I don't have a rock picked up and I'm still standing in the crowd, it's okay. There's only one person that stood between them and her. The early church understood this cost, friends. I'll, I'll try to tie it back together. Christianity was not a social club to the early church. It wasn't. It wasn't about how you felt. Church was not a building, and attending the gathering of believers was not considered a chore. It was not considered something that kept you from sleep or kept you from the big game. It was not considered something they had to do. In fact, as I've talked about in Lionhearts, one of our kind of intense men's groups, one of the things I've read throughout the epistles is Paul, they always say, man, I can't wait to see you. I'm so excited to see you. I think about you all the time. They didn't consider it a chore or option. People lived for this. They lived it. They allowed it to shape their lives and their decisions regardless of how the outside world viewed it. People wanted to evangelize, to tell people about Jesus because they saw power in it. They didn't do it because they had to two weeks a year. They did it because they recognized that it was the difference between life and death. If you had the cure to cancer and you saw someone with cancer and you had it in your pocket, would you just keep it to yourself because you don't want to offend them? People wanted to evangelize. The church grew not because they fit in with culture, because it was unapologetically radical and countercultural. It said this way that is empty, and you know it's empty. There is another way, the only way. And they lived for it, and they walked it, and they changed for it. It had no desire to blend in because the Lord had told them to not put their lamp under a basket, but to put it on a lampstand. Every time I talk about even that, that section, everyone thinks it's not them. I'm not just talking about talking about Jesus at work, though you should. I'm talking about do you stand up against lies? Do you stand up against religious people that condemn people, tell people that she can't come here, he can't come here? We did a thing recently where we had, this is a true story, we had a nerd night, okay? And some of you in this room, this is probably you. And in this nerd night, we invited people to play Magic the Gathering and Dungeons and Dragons, and they came here to play in a safe place. We, We play in a... I shouldn't have said that. That gave it too much. We're in a group of churches that gather together and do things together. And as some of the leaders of these different teams were figuring out how to work, like what we're going to do for the playoffs, I'll just say it, who cares, right? They heard about this. Blake tried to say, oh, yeah, man, we want to use our field back there to reach people. 
for the sports. I mean, we're doing this nerd night tonight, and a guy said, whoa, 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 I don't know about that. We don't want those kind of people in church. And everyone in here thinks that I'm making that up. That was said. And some of you believe the same thing. You are, you are so sorely, sorely unaware of who you are. We don't want those kind of people in church. Because they play Dungeons and Dragons? Where does it stop? Because if you think you don't want people to play Dungeons and Dragons, but you'll accept the prostitute, you're a liar. They appreciated appreciating, liking, and being encouraged by Jesus is not the same as following Jesus. People come to church to be encouraged and preach, and good, come. Jesus preached to them too. People have used their imperfections and the idea that, quote, God loves me for me to justify not following at all and to justify putting their own desires, thoughts, and wants above God's commands, instructions, and direction for our lives. He loves me for me, and because he's blessed me with the top 1% in the world, he's okay with what I do. It's okay to struggle with it. I'm not frustrated that you have those moments. I'm frustrated that you don't recalibrate. I do it, run over here, right? I kind of run off and do craziness. I say, act a fool, right? But do I come back or do I say, I'm allowed to do this because he loves me right where I'm at? He does love you, but that mindset is worrisome. Money, church attendance, serving, forgiving, confronting sin, standing for truth, it all becomes a matter of individual giftings rather than it does obeying and carrying our cross. It becomes a matter of option rather than obligation. It's not true. Even hear the message that God's grace, right, chosen by grace in this church, the message of God's grace covers us forever has been taken by some to mean that we, they, you, and I can do whatever I want and God will be okay with it because of what Jesus did at the cross. You are wrong. And you are living in a dangerous place. Because there are, you might be saved, but there are people that believe like you that aren't. And the only one that knows is you and God, and you have to be honest. It's a dangerous misconception. Though our actions and obedience don't secure or maintain our salvation, they don't. Your good works don't secure it or maintain it. It does prove it. You understand? You guys done for today? You done? For real, I'm good with it. Yeah, keep bringing it. Thank you. One guy in the back. Appreciate you, brother. <laughs> it's hard up here. <coughs> It does prove our salvation and transformation. There's no expectation of perfection, but there should be the pursuit of it. Anyone that knows me, if you're new, you're going to be like, this guy's trying to condemn me. I'm the most, guys, I'm the biggest sinner in the world. Where Paul says, I'm the worst of these, right? I've come to preach to sinners and these, I'm the worst. I really believe that for me. That's not to make you, I, it's hard. But I'm, so I don't believe that. But I do want you to know that the only way a sinner like me is saved is through the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Many people, and some of you in this room, believe in fast food Jesus. It means if you can't have it your way, you'll just leave a bad review online and go find another fast food church chain to serve your exact desires. And then when you found that these vanilla, you-serving churches, you wonder why your faith and church life are so dry and empty of the miraculous. Where's the bread? You can't have the miracles without the Messiah. 
You can't have the works of God without following God. You can't see the transformative power of Christ without following Christ. And I'm reminded of the Sermon on the Mount that I just gave, right? People loved getting free fish and bread. Thousands came to see the miracle worker, Jesus. And then those same thousands stood in the crowd calling for his crucifixion. Because he didn't do what they wanted him to do, the way they wanted him to do it. You don't determine the will of God. Your opinion doesn't dictate the interpretation of the word of God. There's this gross thing in Christianity we're going to talk about at some point of like, well, that's my interpretation. And, and you know who did that? We all did. Let me explain something to you. There's one interpretation. One. We're human, so we struggle. But we should be trying to find the truth. All these denominations, all this stuff, man, it's confused everything. You don't determine our... Your opinion doesn't dictate the interpretation of the word of God. There's truth, and it's our job to find and learn it and not try to define it. Prosperity gospels, fear-based gospels, fear-based one, right? You do this or you don't do that. You're not good enough if you don't speak in tongues. If you don't do this, if you commit this sin, he's done with you. Keep it, earn it, right? Even, I'm going to tell you right now, hey, I'm already doing it, Tim. I'm going too far. Greg's not here. The other elders, I'll just say it, right? If you preach a gospel that says you can lose your salvation, you're preaching a false gospel. Now, that ain't popular, but that's the truth. I used to waffle on that. I was like, eh. Because what they're really saying is, right, the reason I have to say it that way, do I believe people look saved and aren't? Yes. But it's not because they sin too much. It's because they were never saved. They walked away. The roots withered up. The first thing people say when I say, hey, you can't lose your salvation. You just think you can run around and sin all you want? You don't get it. No, I believe the Holy Spirit changes people. And even though they make mistakes, they'll come back, right? Fear-based, works-based, the progressive, deluded truth that says we've got to affirm people's sin in order to love them. All of it's wrong. She's going to come play, Mandy's going to come play some music. Sorry, I really appreciate you doing that. We have to accept and be willing to face who we are and what churches are in this country. If the time is getting closer and it seems weird, we we need to be desperate First, for ourselves to know the true Jesus, to be confident, right, that we, when he comes, we're going, right? But also for our loved ones, for this world. Half the reason the church has no power today is because we stand for nothing. And as much as they may hate us, they respect people. They want to know what's real. I remember that there's an early martyr. The Roman soldiers took him out on a frozen lake. I'll never forget this. And they took him down to kill him and said, all you got to do is say that Jesus is not the Messiah and pledge to, the, uh, to Caesar and we won't kill you. And he refused to do it. They said, we're going to behead you. He refused to do it. At that moment, the leader of these legionnaires went down and got on his knees beside him. When the guy said, what are you doing? He said, if someone is willing to die for this, it must be real. And he died with him that day. It's not our conforming that's going to change the world. I know sometimes it comes from a good place, right? We want to make it a little easier to go down their throat. But medicine's medicine. It doesn't matter how it tastes. They need it. We have to come with grips of that. And there are only two choices. We're following Jesus or we're not. And whether it's blatantly ourselves we follow or whether it's some twisted version of Jesus, we either align ourselves with Christ and his will or we are lost. That's it. Christian in the room. I'm going to talk to you right now. Which soil are you? 
And sometimes even in the good soil, we get caught up in the thorns. That doesn't mean you're, you know, you're not saved. We get caught up in that. It's the end result, right? We see the end. Sometimes the thorny soil and the good soil looks the same at different parts of the journey. Till that soil up. Get it right. Throw the thorns out. Chop up that hard ground. Stand for something. I have family members that don't know Jesus. And I pray that people like you will come in their lives and tell them, because they can't hear from me, right? Jesus said that. Prophet's not welcome in his own town. There's some truth to that, right? You know, it's hard for them to believe me when they remember me being a punk yesterday. Anyway, <laughs> but why would they believe you? you? You know, I've got people telling my family different versions of him. I want you to care about them the way I care about yours because I do. And some of you in the room, I want to tell you something. The heart of all of this, Christian in the room, is it, there's, there's hard truth, but I want you to know God loves you so much. And even his truth is because he loves you. Just like I love my baby girl, right? You're not going to find a dad, and we can argue about it, fellas, that loves her daughter. You might love her as much, but you don't love her more. And I'll do anything for her, right? I would. Anybody that knows me, right? I'm, I'm the guy that's putty, right? And her, I, I'll do anything for her. He's like that for you. He'll do anything for you. But just like I'll jump kick her, and just like I'm not going to let her eat that 15 cookie, she just did it this morning. Cookie, cookie, right? It's morning time. You're not getting another cookie. She didn't even have a cookie. She's confusing bar and cookie anyway. I can't give her that because it's not good for her. I know you're hurting. Some of you are so brokenhearted. You may have come today, man, I wanted some encouragement, and, and you get this kind of hard truth lesson. And, but the encouragement is that the same Jesus that's telling this truth is the one that said, I will wipe away every tear, and there will be a day where there's no more crying or tear or pain or death. I will fix what's broken. We just got to keep following. We got to keep walking when each step's hard, but he sees it. There is not a tear you cry that's wasted. you're in the room and you don't know Jesus, I'm going to tell you the gospel real, real fast. Here it is. God made everything perfect, and he made you and I perfect, and it's a perfect reflection of him, and he said there's really one rule. I'm God, and you're not. And what that means is I tell you what right and wrong is, and guess what? Just like today, we rejected that. We said, no, I'm going to eat from that because I can. It's the same thing today, and because of that, sin has separated us from a holy God. You can't take a white snowball, perfect and pure, and a mud ball and touch them together, right? They can't be together because the white snowball won't be white anymore. A holy and good God cannot be with a sinful thing. He can't and remain as he is. He is not going to become sinful in order to be in relationship with us. So then something else has to happen. We've got to somehow become perfectly holy. Well, I don't know about you, but I have a hard time being holy for 10 minutes. So this world, what we see today is the evidence, is the consequences of a world gone wrong, of a branch broken off the tree, of a creation that's fled from the creator. And no matter how many times we spruce it up, no matter how many times we try to fix ourselves and duct tape ourselves to a tree, we can't do it ourselves. We're dying and we know it. And God's let us in this world see what that looks like. We see it every day. Here's the beauty. When we couldn't come to him anymore, and every religion is about getting to the divine, 
somehow being good enough to get there. Well, God flips it and he says, you can't get to me, so I'll come to you. He did. Jesus Christ is God made flesh. He invaded this earth. Jesus of Nazareth existed. He proved who he was through miracles and he proved who he was by rising from the dead. And this perfect man who did not sin died on a cross to stand in the way of your judgment. Now, there are going to be people in this world who have twisted it and said there's some sins he can't forgive. That's what they're going to tell you, and they probably told you that in your life. And they're going to say, if you can't fix yourself, if you can't get over that addiction, if you can't stop this, if you can't get out of that relationship, if you, if you can't do that, then you can't be with him. It's not whether you can, are you willing? Will you look at him and say, Lord, I believe you are who you said you are. I turn away from doing things my way of being my own savior and I put my faith in you. Change me, forgive me. And in that moment, if you do it and you believe it, he will. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, if you confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Lord and was raised from the dead, you will be saved. There's no ifs, ands, or buts and there's no additions. You can have that today. I know we've gone a little late. I'm trying Complain about the worship team, right? <laughs> the truth is, they're going to be up here to pray for you. If you're in this room and you're hurting, there's power in prayer. We don't talk about that anymore because it's not comfortable. There's power in prayer. There's something about coming forth and having someone pray with you, the humility of that, that God says, of course I'll be there. If you don't know God, if you can't say unequivocally that, Lord forbid, today you were hit by a bus, that you would stand with Jesus in paradise. If you can't say that, don't leave without making that true. Turn away from your sin. These people will pray with you. I was you. I didn't know how to do it. They will pray with you. Whatever you do, don't leave the same as you came in. Because if you do, you're choosing to.